Hey, Wildcat fans. Welcome back, and sorry for the absence. Life's been happening. Summer's been good to us. We hope it's been good to you. And most exciting, preseason college football has been in full swing. We've seen a lot of stories of players on the move, programs in the spotlight for both good and bad, and everyone's thoughts and predictions for the 2019 season. Some more founded than others, but nonetheless, the takes, the banter, the promise, and the, and the delusion in some cases has been both refreshing and nauseating to a degree. So we're going to add to that tonight on this edition of the Wildcast here on a bowl full of chips. And back with us again to help spread far the fame is our dear friend and always welcome guest, Louis Vacare. Louis, of course, a writer and editor of the Wildcat Report. And of course, that's the Northwestern site on Rivals.com. Louis's been doing this site for quite a while, not only covering the Wildcats, but ensuring that Northwestern fans everywhere get the info, insight, and interest they need on their beloved purple and white. Lou, thanks for joining us, buddy. Uh, it's great to be here, Chappy. Thanks for inviting me. You know, we uh, we both went to uh, Big Ten Media Days a couple weeks ago, and then last week uh, Northwestern had its media day, and practice is going now for uh, for the Wildcats. So it's an exciting time of the year, and uh, you know, it's it's this is the time everybody's building up with anticipation. So it's a it's, it's a fun time of the year, and I know. Uh, You've had a busy summer with your podcasting and, uh, you know, you're doing your position previews for Wildcat Report, which I hope everybody is reading. So uh, I know this is, this is the, that time of year. We're both pretty busy. Yep, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, again, I, I, I wanted to hit on Big Ten Media Days. That was a really cool experience. It was the first time that I've been to Big Ten Media Days, and it was, it was great to see all the people, not just from, you know, the, the coaches and the players, uh, you know, hearing and talking to Coach Fitz and Jared Thomas, Joe Gaziano, Patty Fisher, as well as some of the other Big Ten coaches and players. But, you know, some of the other writers as well that you'll, you'll see, guys like, um, you know, Josh from Rivals and Sean Callahan from Nebraska, Matt Fortuna, uh, even Noah Kaufman from Inside NU. Uh, you know, a lot, of the, a lot of the personalities that maybe you see their byline, but then you get to meet them uh, and, and, you know, chat with them in person as well is pretty sweet. So, and yeah, uh, podcasting has certainly been keeping me busy as, as has writing articles. And yeah, our listeners better be reading those articles up on wildcat report. Uh, you know, that's right. Go to the source, go to the source, baby. It's, it's about as close as you can get. So, um, and I know Lou that, you know, you talked about covering the team, you know, the camp has started and, um, you know, I was happy to see on wildcat report that, the, the Wildcats are going to go back to Kenosha again this year. I know that there were some rumors last year that it was going to be the last time that they were going to be out there or maybe they were going to stay on campus, but I hear that they are going to travel back out to Wisconsin and, and continue to do that, you know, the legacy that Gary Barnett set up. Yeah, there, uh, you know, there was some discussion about it last year because now they have the facility, so that's obviously a year-round uh, it's, it's a great environment to be in, but uh, I think Fitz decided that, uh, you know, the, the, you, to build a camaraderie and it's uh, football focus, it's 100% football and they live together in the dorms and go practice and there's not a whole lot else to do up there. So I think that, you know, he, he puts enough value in that to continue to go up to Kenosha. So they're going to be there Monday to Saturday uh, next week. I'm going to, I think they have two open practices next week for the media. I'm going to try to get up there at some point, um, nice. you know, and then after that, you got one more week of practice at Evanston and then it's game week, you know, it's, it's right upon us. It, it comes pretty fast. So uh, I'm looking forward to trying to get up there. Um, you know, they, they have some open practices this year. I think there's four, maybe four or five. I can't remember off the top of my head. But, um, you know, there's going to be limited reporting on those practices. So, you know, Northwestern, right. you know, as has been the practice the last couple of years, they're kind of locking things down a little bit. And, you know, with uh, the addition or the you know, Illinois has made gambling legal. So I know that's a factor in that decision as well, right. as well as, you know, coaches. Fitz is a football coach and they're all paranoid that somebody's stealing something or is going to read something that's going to help them in preparation. So, you know, between those things, uh, it's going to be locked down pretty tight. So there's not going to be a whole lot of information coming out of, of camp this year, unfortunately, besides the stuff you see on you know, nusports.com that comes from the school and they do a great job right. with that. But, uh, you know, there's not going to be yeah. a lot of quote unquote real news. I don't think coming out of there. Yeah. And, you know, as an old school guy, that's kind of refreshing to know that there is going to be some excitement and some buildup for, 
August 31st against Stanford, you know, and, and you're not going to know everything right out of the gate. Uh, you know, kind of takes me back to when there was no internet and it was just basically one or two preseason publications. And then you watch the first game and you're like, hey, who's that guy and where did this guy come from? So to me, as an old school guy, it's a little bit refreshing. So, yeah. And though I will say, though, this year, you know, reading all the preseason publications and watching ESPN and you know, Northwestern is getting, you know, it, it's going from curious to comical, how little respect this team gets coming off a Big Ten mm-hmm. West championship. You know, I just got Sports Illustrated the other day. They're not in the 25. I was listening yesterday to ESPN uh, College Football uh, Podcast. Greg McElroy said the Big Ten West is the most wide open division in the country, which which I agree with. And he talked about Iowa being his favorite, and he talked about Wisconsin. He talked about Nebraska, Minnesota could make noise. Not one mention of Northwestern, the defending champs that you know have won right. fifteen of their last sixteen Big Ten regular season games. And you know, it's uh, yeah. I tell you, it's. You mentioned the word nauseating before, right? And it's, it, it's it's starting to get to me. And if it's getting to me, you can imagine what it's like for the players. You know, I'm sure they uh, right they can't wait to get out there and uh, prove it, as uh, Fitz likes to say. Let me ask you, as as a Wildcat reporter, Lou, do you prefer it to be that way, or would you rather they be in the spotlight and kind of be a team like Minnesota, where everybody is just gushing over them, saying, oh, they're going to be the darlings to win the West? I mean, I know there's a lot of noise around Nebraska as well, but Minnesota, to me, is getting a lot of, in my personal opinion, undue respect uh, relative to Northwestern, because Minnesota barely made a bowl game last year. They beat a fledgling Georgia Tech team in Detroit, which is not yeah. the greatest of bowl venues. And here you've got NU. They they won the West. They played Ohio State close, really, for about three quarters. And then they beat a really good Utah team in the Holiday, Holiday Bowl, a Utah team who many people are predicting to possibly crack the college football playoff this year as an undefeated team. And here's lowly Northwestern. You know, oh, they'll be lucky to win six games this year, even though they have a good core of their defense coming back and they've got, you know, a talented quarterback transferring. And do you do you prefer the bullseye on uh, Northwestern's back or do you kind of like that underdog role and say, okay, well, let's just show you on the field? Well, I've been a Northwestern fan for a long time, so I'm going to say I love being the underdog. You know, a lot less pressure. Good answer. Uh, Northwestern seems to play up and down to the competition a lot, and I I think it does give them that chip on their shirt. I think they enjoy that. It's one of the reasons they're so strong on the road, I think. They like that us-against-the-world mentality. They've got something to prove. I think Fitz fans those flames whenever he can. Um, so that's, I think that's all a a positive thing for the program. I think, uh, they prefer it that way. Yeah. Yep. And I agree. And, you know, I always go back to the, to the example of the 2001 team, you know, fresh off the co-Big Ten championship and they brought back Kustak and Damian Anderson and all this talent from the 2000 team. And they had high expectations and, really flubbed in 2001. So I kind of always look back at that and say, well, uh, if that's the way it is going in with a lot of hype, I'd rather be the underdog as well, because like you said, they've flourished in that role. And I think that's what makes them, you know, uh, so appreciated by, by so many, you know, actual college football fans. Yeah. And and I talked to a few people at uh, Northwestern's media day about this and, um, I guess Fitz was addressing that lack of respect with the team. And, you know, he talked yeah. about how well they've done in the Big Ten the last couple of years. And to him, it's you want respect, you've got to beat those teams you're supposed to beat. You know, and he pointed to games the last few years. You know, you look at Western Michigan, right? They, they lost that one right. by a point. That's a MAC program. Then they went and lost mm-hmm. to Illinois State. They lost to Duke twice. You know, Duke's not bad, but they got hammered, too, a couple times, especially yeah, down there. Right. And then you look at Akron last year, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, his point was, you want respect? Win those games. You're, we're winning yep. in the Big Ten. We're doing well there, but people always look at you as just Northwestern because you are slipping up and losing those games that you should win against inferior opponents. And people see that, and they roll their eyes and say, oh, there's Northwestern again. You know, And right. and I think that's, yep. that's a lot of the narrative, especially nationally. Right? People look at who you play non-conference and then in the bowl games. They've got the bowl games straightened out. They won three in a row. But it's still those, especially non-conference against a, a non-Power 5 league, especially, they're still losing those games that tarnishes right. their reputation, and that's the reason they're not getting the respect. 
Right. And, you know, Fitz even addressed, you know, and I thought it was interesting how, you know, he says uh, five years ago or so, they would beat all those non-conference opponents and people criticized them because they weren't really strength of schedule. And then they would lose the big 10 games. Well, now that's kind of flipped. They're winning the big 10 games, but they're dropping those games that really, like you said, they shouldn't lose. And so, uh, yeah, to Fitz's point, we got to win both of them now. And, you know, uh, it's, it's been nice to see the big 10 success 15 out of the last 16. Uh, nobody else can say that. And I think there's only two or three other power five programs that have won, as consistently within their own conference as Northwestern has. But, yeah, yeah, now it's putting it all together. It's doing it in conference, and it's doing it at the beginning of the season. And it starts, I mean, what better way to start than out in Palo Alto against a ranked Stanford team, David Shaw, I mean, to, to really establish or reestablish that national presence, uh, go out there and beat the Cardinal on the field. Yeah, and, you know, you mentioned 36 and 17, which is a pretty impressive number. Now, if you convert a few of those games that you should have won, if you beat Western Michigan, Illinois State, and Akron's, and maybe get one with Duke, you know, you're at 40 wins. Now people are taking notice. You're at 40 and 13. That's probably top five or six or definitely top 10 in the country, you know. So it's, uh, you know, if if they take care of business there, they're going to even have a, a better profile. Absolutely. Well, let's let's talk about this 2019 team, and we'll start with the offense. So Mick McCall's drawn a lot of criticism at times from some of the NU quote-unquote faithful. What do you see as the best thing about this offensive scheme that Mick McCall has run and that Coach Fitz continually seems to have confidence in? Yeah, Mick McCall is definitely the whipping boy, especially on, you know, Wildcat Report, message boards, people, you know, it's funny. It kind of switches from coach to coach. It used to be Adam Mm -hmm. Cushing, but McCall has always gotten his his fair share. And, you know, I look at last year, I thought he did a fantastic job last year, which is kind of funny to say because the offense overall, if you look at the numbers, they're pretty anemic, right? They, I think they were 12th in the big 10 in total offense and scoring offense and they were dead last in rushing. But you look at the job he did, right? He has Clayton Thorson, uh, a starter going into his fourth year. He's coming off of an ACL tear tear. So they they don't know how much they're going to get from him early. They have to, uh, switch series, right? They're, they're throwing uh, TJ Green in there every third series or so and slowly wean him out. So he's got to manage that whole thing. Then week three, Jeremy Larkin, your your most expect, explosive best player on offense, has to medically retire. Mm-hmm. I mean, just a devastating right. blow. Over the next three weeks, I, th- I want to say they ran for like 64 yards over the next three games, and they won two of them. I think so. Right? <laughs> it's astounding because what do they do? They completely – re-engineered the offense. They had Thorson throwing the ball all over the place and they, and they, they, they beat uh, Michigan state and Nebraska. And then they, it kind of changed again, right? Bowser emerges as a power back. They play more power football. They're going to run the ball and win with uh, running game and defense. And, you know, Thorson struggled, especially there in the middle of the season. He was barely over 50% and he had that three interception game against Wisconsin and, you know, so they, so they did running and defense the rest of the way, you know. So I think, you know, he did a heck of a job. And the numbers won't reflect it, and he got a lot of criticism. Right. But I think Mick McCall did a pretty good job last year. And I would agree. And, and you know, first thing that pops to my mind is the, the old fitsism of, you know, stats are for losers. And I think it really <laughs> – uh, you know, takes takes shape with what Mick McCall did with that offense last year. I mean, there was a there was a point I think where the the only team that was below Northwestern in terms of rush offense was Washington State, and that's because they ran the ball you know maybe four times a game uh, in such a pass happy offense. So, yeah. but they you know Northwestern ended the year I think 120th out of 130 teams, which I know still looks bad, but considering halfway through the season they were second to last. Um, and still were, were a, a better passing offense collectively, I think, than they, they were as a run offense. But Isaiah Bowser certainly made that, uh, that group a little bit more multidimensional and, and gave Thorson a little bit more time and gave you know, that, that defense a, a reason to respect the, the, the other parts of that offense. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think Mick McCall, you know, given the circumstances, given the, the situation he was put in last year, did a good job. And, you know, the best thing that I can see is his players and his coaches around him seem to really trust him. You know, I think that 
sometimes you can kind of read between the lines and you can get a sense when players don't really trust the system. But the, these guys really seem to to buy into what he is is wanting to do and, and they're willing to be patient. And, you know, most of all, you know, Coach Fitz seems to be patient with him. And and I think that we saw that pay off in, in, in big ways last year. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you look at his quarterbacks, especially, that's who he uh, works with the most. And they love him. You know, they, they talk about uh, right. how much they've helped him, de- help them develop and grow as quarterbacks. And uh, they, they have complete trust in him. So I think all of the um, dissension we hear and see in the message boards and talking to fans and at Ryan Field, and I think that's where it is. It's outside yeah. the program, not within the program. Right. Yep. Yep. A lot of that noise. Well, speaking of quarterbacks, I think uh, probably the, the, the most tiresome uh, storyline has been the hype on Hunter Johnson. So, uh, I mean, clearly a talent, but it's, it's, it's always going to happen, whether it's fair or unfair. Where do you see him as being better than Clayton Thorson was, if, if you can even see that? Yeah, you know, I haven't really seen him in practice. I've heard a lot of things about him, you know, hearsay and right. things like that. Um, I did talk to him in media days, and I just wrote about him. And um, right. uh, I posted it this morning, as a matter of fact, and I was astounded. So I talked to him Wednesday at media day, and he said, he told me that this is the sixth offense that he's learned. Yeah. Over the last seven years, he had four yeah. different offenses in high school, which he went from a wing tee to a pistol to a spread. Then they had another coach come in his senior year and run a different kind of spread. Then he goes to Clemson, learns that offense. Then he comes to Northwestern. And then on top of that, right. not, not only has he got to learn Northwestern, but he spent last year running the scout team. So he you know, spent every week <laughs> running Iowa's offense and Minnesota's offense, then Michigan State's yeah. offense. I mean – it's crazy. The kid's got a PhD in uh, mastering the <laughs> offense, you know? So right. I think, I, I, you know, to answer your question, though, where, where he could be better than Clayton, I think um, accuracy for one, you know, Clayton, last yeah. year you look at him, and part of it was because he was coming off the knee injury. But, he, you know, he had 17 touchdowns and 15 interceptions last year. And yeah, you saw it even, even on short throws every once in a while. He bounced one in front. He, he was a little inconsistent, you know, and that certainly mm-hmm. could have been partially due to the injury. But uh, Hunter Johnson, I think could that could be an area where he's a little bit better. And I think, you know, he's got a big arm and – Maybe yeah. he can stretch the field a little bit more, you know, go, go vertical a little bit more effect, um, effectively. You know, Fitz talked about yeah. that a little bit at Big Ten Media Days, you know, that he gets criticized a lot or the, or the program gets criticized for not taking shots downfield. He made the point sometimes those plays are called, but Clayton made the smart decision and checked it down and went to a shorter route. And, you know, that was kind of his personality. That's who he was. And he made the point Trevor Simeon took a lot more of those shots down the field because, you know, Trevor Simeon never saw that throw he couldn't make, you know, that that's just who he was. He was a little bit more um, daring, a little bit more courageous with the football. So maybe Johnson can balance that a little bit and he's got the arm and uh, hopefully they've got some vertical speed a little bit where they can stretch the field. And if they can hit, on a couple of big plays, you know, make, cause that's always been their weakness offensively is making big plays, those explosive plays, 20 or more yards. Yeah. Um, so maybe those are some areas where he can eventually, you know, maybe not this season, he's, he's got to learn the offense and get comfortable in it, but uh, down the line, maybe right. that's something he can do. Yeah. So you talk about downfield threats and, you know, we saw the, the beginning of an emergence from guys like JJ Jefferson and Kyrick McGowan, uh, you, you throw in Riley Lees as well. I think those three are going to be the playmakers, you know, obviously Bennett Skoranek coming back as a, as a fourth year starter at wide receiver. Uh, but those, those other three, I think are going to be the, the bigger playmakers, the ones that are going to have more sizzle. Which one of those three do you see maybe shining the brightest this year for NU? Luke? Yeah, well, I'll tell you, I've, I've heard a lot of good things about Lee's development in the, over the last year or so, yeah. you know, you, you got to remember he came out of, uh, Libertyville High School here in the north suburbs of Chicago was an outstanding quarterback. You know, he was a dual threat guy, yeah. ran for, you know, I don't know how many total offense. He was over 4,000, I believe. Uh, yeah. Made a lot of plays. But so he made that transition from quarterback to wide receiver, from throwing passes to catching passes. And, and Fitz talked about, you know, the difficulty of that transition and, and the total mental mindset that has to shift. And, and I think he's a lot more comfortable now. And, 
And I think we're going to see him emerge. I think he's going to probably get the most playing time as well out of those guys. So yeah, I think he'll have the most opportunities. Um, though I'll tell you, yeah. I, I thought McGowan and Jefferson, they both made plays last year. They both showed that potential. And, you know, McGowan right. averaged like 20 yards a catch last year. And I think he uh-huh. also made some plays as a kick returner. So he's a guy to keep an eye on too that could be dangerous um, if he takes that next step. So that's where – you know, those guys maybe stretch the field. And then there's, you know, Jensen Hooper Price, who's a true freshman, but he's a yeah six foot five true freshman that uh, I think he ran, I think it was like a 10, five, 700 meters in high school. So the yeah. guy can fly, yeah. you know, sure. he, he's like Kyle Prater with wheels. So that's another guy that may be able to get down the field for you. So, um, you know, that's, that's the hope is that those guys develop, take the next step and be able to go vertical a little bit more. Yeah, so you mentioned those four, uh, and then you throw in Skaronic, uh, Chakiel Bowman, and then also um, potentially incoming first-year Bryce Kurtz, who was a, a teammate of, of Hunter Johnson. I think um, they're two years apart, but um, you know, you're looking at a, a group that's about six deep. Is this the deepest group of receivers that you can remember in recent history? Yeah, I, I think you know they definitely got to be up there. Northwestern has always rotated a ton of guys. You know, they uh, they like to yeah. put six, eight receivers through there a lot, and so they've been deep at many times in the past. I think though they're they're especially deep. You know, we're talking about a lot of slot guys. And I think that's where they really yeah. seem stacked. You, you got Lees and McGowan and Jefferson, like we just mentioned, and they brought in Malik Washington, who's another outstanding athlete. He's like a five nine guy, yeah. um, and Bryce Kurtz, who, who could play inside or outside, but I think he's going to start on the inside. And so there's a, a yeah. lot of guys there at, at that slot position, and that's traditionally been Northwestern's bread and butter. You know, guys like. Jeremy Ebert and Flynn Nagel over the years. Right. So that's where I think they're really deep and where, uh, you know, we can really look for some people to make some plays inside when they're matched up maybe against a safety or someone who isn't, you know, used to that speed and quickness. Yeah. And, and I really, I feel a lot better about our outside guys than I have in really about five years with, with Skaronic and then Ramad Chakiel Bowman. Bowman, I, I, I've seen such a, a growth from him since his freshman year. I know he had some issues with drops in his first year, uh, but has really shown to be some of the, the better set of hands last season especially and is a guy that knows where the sticks are and just does a great job with body control and feet drag. And I think he's somebody who um, a lot of people are overlooking, but uh, you're, you're going to get to, to relearn his name even though it might be a little bit difficult to spell and uh, and to 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 pronounce, but you know RCB is is somebody who I think can be a valuable asset for this uh, Northwestern offense, especially on the outside, like we talked about with those guys who have to try and stretch the field a little bit vertically. Not so much um, you know big explosive plays, but those stick uh, those stick seekers mm-hmm. where you're you're looking to get that first down, and, and certainly those two. I mean, Skaronik's a great 50-50 ball guy, and, and uh, Chakiel Bowman is, like I said, great at getting to the sticks and and very reliable with that set of mitts to to haul it in and, and move the chains. Yeah, I, I agree with you, and I think he really came on last season, like you mentioned, you know, and he had that, you know, fifty. I think it was a fifty-two yarder in the Holiday Bowl that opened yeah. up the second half. Uh, he's a good athlete, and you mentioned body control, and I think that that's what I think of when I think of him. He's a, he's an outstanding athlete, and you can see the body control on all those dancing videos too. Oh right, and, yeah. <laughs> on Twitter and YouTube, you see him all the time. He's a heck of a dancer, and he's also he's a big personality in that locker room. He's yeah. he's a guy that uh, guys seem to gravitate for toward and he's got a kind of infectious personality and, yeah. and he cuts guys hairs too i was gonna say he's, he's the team uh, barber the so. trades, yeah. right well in the backfield how much does isaiah bowser jump this year and what is it going to take for him to be considered an elite big 10 back yeah bowser's another guy um that i've heard a lot about how many sh- how much uh improvement he's made in the offseason you know fitz talked about it and i've heard it from other coaches and players as well and that he, he looks so much better this year and you know i haven't seen him in action yet but uh he had such a i'll tell you you talk about 
a guy in the right place at the right time. They were really floundering offensively, and they tried Moten and Vault, uh, you know, who yeah. were all dinged up, and right. Drake Anderson out there. And, and finally with Bowser, who's a power back, who's very different than Justin Jackson and Jeremy Larkin. And, and uh, you know, he just hits the hole hard, runs very hard, and, and he can still make a cut. You know, he's a one-cut kind of guy. And yeah. he made some big plays, big runs last year. Um, you know, can he be elite? You know, that I'm not sure. You know, he may be just a, a banger kind of guy that's got a little bit of speed and wiggle. Right. Um, you know, he's not super elusive. He's not going to make a lot of guys missing a phone booth, as, as Fitz likes to say. And yeah. he's not a guy that has that extra gear. He, he doesn't have track speed or anything like that. But yeah. uh, he hits the hole hard. He moves the pile. And he, and he can pick up chunks. And, uh, you know, I don't think Northwestern needs him to be elite necessarily. You know, right. he certainly was the uh, – the remedy for Northwestern's ailing offense last year. So I've, I've heard many good things. We'll see how that translates on the field on Saturday, but uh, really looking forward to seeing what he can do uh, moving forward because he, he really was a guy that uh, they really desperately needed him to step up last year. And he got it done. Yeah, for sure. And, and a guy that comes to mind in terms of comparison is somebody like Noah Heron, who, like you said, um, not going to, Blaze you with speed, but he's a banger. He'll get you the the yards. He's he's not shy on contact and is serviceable to where he can allow his offensive skill guys around him to to do their thing and, and keep a defense honest. Absolutely. So chicken or egg question here, looking at the offensive line, do you think Hunter Johnson and Isaiah Bowser will make this offensive line look better? Or do you think this offensive line group will improve under new position coach Kurt Anderson and they'll make Johnson and Bowser look better because of the progress that they're going to make? That's an interesting question. I, I was, my answer is yes. <laughs> okay. And, and that's a because, safe answer. That's good. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going to waffle on you I, because it's got to be both, right? Yeah. I mean, there, there are times the offensive line is going to have to – you know, punch the hole to make through or, or hold their blocks for an extra half a second to make, let Johnson deliver the ball. And there are times that, you know, Johnson is also a very good athlete. You, you asked earlier about how he could be a step up on Thorson. I think yeah. he's a little faster too. He's a little more elusive. I think yeah. he can run out of the pocket a little bit more effectively than Thorson could. Um, right. So that's another area. So I think those guys, and especially Bowser too, because Bowser plenty of times last year, he hit the hole. There wasn't really a hole there, but he made one, you know, yeah. he either right. bowled someone over in the hole or he, you know, got through a crack or just moved the pile of five yards down the field. So, you know, I think it's a little bit of both. And and the offensive line really made strides last year. I give them a lot of credit. They were they were dinged up early. And once again, the, you know, they were Fitz's favorite whipping boy. And, and there's a yeah. lot of criticism everywhere about what's going on with the offensive line. But uh, they really got better. And, and they kind of switched from more of a zone scheme to more just putting a hat on a hat and letting their, you know, sledgehammer Bowser just go at the line. And, and it really worked for them. Yeah, and um, you know, I I think anybody, any Northwestern fan who's followed Twitter and has seen the or heard the sound bites from Coach Anderson, you have to be excited about the energy level and the excitement he brings. No disrespect to Coach Cushing, but I think that um, the intensity is definitely going to be increased. I think that the physical play is is probably going to be translated from Anderson into his group, and that's going to improve. What player or what position on this offensive line concerns you maybe the most, Lou? Um, well, I, I guess it, it would have to be the, the guards, you know, two new guards. I think, you know, you got Jared yeah. Thomas at center and he's the leader. And I talked mm -hmm. to Kurt Anderson in the spring and he talked about how thankful he was that not only he's got a fifth year senior, but he's got a fifth year senior center. You know, that's really the right. captain, the guy that makes the calls. So he yeah. feels really strongly about having Jared Thomas in the middle. And you got Slater who's, you know, a two-year starter, right tackle. He's moved to left. I think he's going to be just fine. Uh, Gunnar Vogel is going to be the right tackle. Um, he played a little bit of left tackle last year when Hans went down, and that's not his right. position. But I think on the right side, I think uh, he should be okay. So I, th I think the guards are the biggest question mark. You know, Nick Urban is a guy that's been around. Uh, he'll be on the left side, it looks like. And then you got Sam Stovall, a redshirt freshman. Looks like he's going to start. Kurt Anderson loves him, has sung his yeah. praises throughout spring. 
And uh, he's really kind of earned that number one spot right now anyway. And, you know, this is a kid. He, he was a two-star from Rivals. He was set to commit to Western Kentucky. Northwestern offered him the day before the first signing day in December. And, yeah. you know, he postponed the decision, took an official visit, committed to Northwestern. And now here he is as a redshirt freshman is uh, probably going to start this season. So he's a heck of a story. Yeah, and it's not just Anderson. I mean, teammates as well, uh, various offensive linemen and even defensive linemen have mentioned Stovall's name in the last year and a half about somebody who's just uh, uh, an outstanding practice player, uh, works hard in the weight room, just a great team player, and has really impressed everybody with um, just his style of play and, and how physical he can be. Uh, so I'm really excited to see how he does as a, as a redshirt first year and um, getting on that offensive line and, and you know, good to know that we've got him for hopefully the next four years so um, again we're with Lou Vicare from Wildcat Report we're talking 2019 Northwestern Wildcat football so Lou let's get to the side of the ball that uh, most people associate when they talk Northwestern football and that's the defense so defense obviously the calling card last year and really has been during most of the Fitzgerald era especially since the arrival of coach Mike Hankowitz as their coordinator what is it that makes this unit so consistently reliable for the Wildcats I think it all starts up front uh, for them. You know, they're, they're very strong in the front seven the last uh, last year, especially. But uh, over the last several years, I think their their mo they're, the number one priority is to stop the run, and they've they've done that pretty well. And, and they force you to throw the ball, and you know, and they've been very good at, at stopping that running game. And that's that's really where it all starts. And I think the other thing they've been really good is in the red zone. Right? You may move the you know yeah. they're. Total defense numbers are usually not great, but they're pretty good in scoring defense. And when, you can move the ball between the 20s, but uh, once you get inside their 20, it's pretty difficult to score. I know, I know last year I think they finished fourth overall in red zone defense, but more importantly, it was just 21 of 45 possessions inside the red zone where they ended up allowing a touchdown, you know, that's less than half. And that's, yeah. that's really important. And that's, right. that's what they do. They bend, but they don't break. And, you know, last year they had some problems with big plays, especially right. earlier in the year. And after that, you didn't see them making a whole lot of mistake. You know, they're the least penalized team in the country and they just force you you know, to, they, they keep everything in front of them. They tackle well and they force you, if you're going to score, you got to go 10, 12 plays to score on them. And, and their bet is there's somewhere right. you're going to screw up, right? You're going to get behind the sticks. There's going to be a penalty right. or a negative play or a sack or something like that. And it's uh, it's been very effective for them, and I expect that to continue this year because I think front seven is once again going to be the strength of the team. Yeah, and that's where you see a lot of good defenses can be shut down, but once – an opponent gets inside the 20, they start to panic because they're not used to being down there. Northwestern's kind of the opposite, and they're conditioned specifically to be okay with, with giving up here, giving up there. But once you get inside that 40 or even the 20, um, you're locking down, and these guys actually thrive on it. They don't buckle. They don't panic. They don't look to the sideline. You know, what do we do, coach? It's simply like, okay, this is our game. We got this. And like you said, I think the number is 47% or 49%. Um, giving up a touchdown, and uh, you know, there's there's a big difference between red zone defense and then red zone touchdown defense because you know the psyche of your team collectively is if you can hold a team to nothing or three points, monumentally better than if if a team crosses the goal line and you hear that fight song playing and their fan base is going and you've got a, a slightly dejected group going back to the sideline with their shoulders drooping, and then the offense has got to come out there and try and rectify what you know, the, the defense maybe couldn't get done. So I think that that's, you know, the, the the stat that is most impressive to me about any part of this Wildcat football team. I agree with Now, what does the defense, what does the defensive tackle position look like, Lou? Because, you know, we got to replace two starters and pretty deep at defensive end. I mean, it starts with Gaziano and Sam Duke Miller, the, the two starters right now, but it sounds like Ernest Brown is breathing down, you know, people's necks and Devin O'Rourke is a talent that is, is up and coming. Uh, and then there's other guys you can throw in there as well. But defensive tackle is really the, the area of concern, um, relatively speaking, on that D-line. So what does that look like this year? 
Yeah, I agree with you. Defensive end, I mean, they it's an embarrassment of talent there. It, it's incredible the talent they have at defensive right. end. And defensive tackle, a lot less so, certainly. You know, they lost two starters, including, you know, Jordan Thompson, who was, you know, a big-time leader up there and a guy that played a lot all four years and multiple-year starter. And so, you know, this year I think Alex Miller will definitely be one starter, and then the other spot will go to either Trevor Kent or Jake Saunders. Trevor Kent is a yeah. converted defensive end. He, he just kept growing, and they decided right. to move him inside. And I don't think he was going to play on the outside because of all that depth we were talking about. And then uh, Jake Saunders is a guy that they really like, right. but uh, he has to prove he can stay healthy. So I think uh, those guys have to step up, yeah. you know, so one of those two guys are going to have to step up and be in a starting role. And then, mm-hmm. you know, I think they've got uh, the depth there, you know, Joe Spivak is a walk on, you know, everybody, the clown prince mm-hmm. of uh, Northwestern football and is in there. And then I think right. a guy to keep an eye on. Uh, is Jason Gold, who's going to be a true freshman this year, and I tell you, he does he doesn't look like one. Yeah. You know, I, I was looking; they have him listed at six three two seventy, and he could be one of those rare players who's who's ready to play a defensive tackle in the Big Ten as a true freshman, like a Jordan yeah. Thompson was. And you know, he's from Houston, right? And uh, Alex Miller, Sandup Miller were both uh, Houston guys that started as true freshmen on the D line, so maybe he can uh, continue that, but. Uh, He's a guy that uh, could play a role this season as well. Yeah. And um, so y- you get to the heart of this defense, at least according to most uh, experts and outsiders, is um, linebacker. And so here you have Blake Gallagher and Patty Fisher were the Big Ten's top two tacklers, yet you really don't hear about the two of them. You hear about Fisher. But what the heck is going on with Gallagher's lack of respect? I mean, he's literally he had the most tackles in the Big Ten a year ago. And, you know, we come back and um, he, unless you are covering Northwestern or unless you're a Northwestern fan, a lot of people are like, who? Um, So, you know, what's going on with that? Yeah, I I agree with you. You know, it's funny because I talked to Blake about that very thing. And, uh, you know, I got a one-on-one interview with him on Media Days and he basically wouldn't bite. I I was kind of disappointed he didn't have anything to say. You know, he he just talked about how great Patty was and that he deserves all that attention and that he's one of the best linebackers in the country. Right. And he's able to make plays because Patty Fisher is in the middle. You know, that that's kind of what his take was. And yeah. He just keeps on grinding and he's perfectly fine with nobody pays attention to him and all that kind of stuff. Um, but, right. you know, he thinks he makes plays because of Fisher. But, uh, you know, you saw that guy and he's a guy that – you know, he played quite a bit as a true freshman. Then he got hurt. He, he got dinged up a little bit. We didn't see too much of him. So last year, he kind of burst on the scene and led the team in tackles. He's right. he's a physical player. Comes in hard, very aggressive. He he can run a little bit. You know, he's yeah. uh he's a heck of a player in his own right. And I think you know, but as long as uh, number forty two is in the middle, people aren't going to play pay a whole lot of attention to Blake Gallagher and you know Blake Gallagher's fine with that he just like I said he, he wouldn't sure he wouldn't say anything controversial he's kind of yeah. locked down on that uh, the Fitz mentality you know he's he didn't say a whole lot right. and uh, I don't think he cares a whole lot he's he's a football player and uh, you know I think everybody in that locker room knows how much uh, Blake Gallagher means to that defense yeah, well, in talking to Patty Fisher on Big Ten Media Days, you know, Patty kind of said the same thing about Blake, and he says he has the absolute uh, utmost confidence playing with Blake, and and he feels that uh, the things that Blake can do at the Will linebacker spot enables Patty to do the good things that he does at the mic, and and the two really feed off each other. And a third member who I think gets zero respect is Chris Bergen. Now he's the apparent starter going into camp. Um, there are some people who might be suggesting that there's younger talent beneath him that um, could upseat him. But what we've seen from him is he's a warrior. He's somebody who who kind of thrives on the underdog role. Do you see him hanging on to that role, or do you think that there might be some some greater uh, quality on that depth chart that uh, that could actually be better than him, as good as Bergen has shown to be? Well, we'll have to see. I think you know time will tell. Yeah. But uh, I, I, Chris Bergen is uh, the number one certainly penciled in right now. I, I, 
Blake Gallagher, Patty Fisher both told me that, that, you know, he's running with the ones. They certainly expect him to be there. And, you know, he's yeah. a guy, a heck of a story. You know, he grew up a Michigan State fan. They they weren't really interested. And his only offers came from, you know, Ivy League. He had some Mac offers, the service academies and things like that. And he chose to walk on at Northwestern instead. And, uh, you know, what, what, what a tremendous player he was last year when Nate Hall went down he started those four games made a heck of a lot of plays for him you know yeah. he, he's 5'11 I think that's really if he was six foot two sure you'd be reading a lot about him in preseason magazines he would have been he would have gotten a lot of Big Ten offers out of high school who knows if he would have even been mm-hmm. at Northwestern but uh, you know he's a little right. bit short but he's got I think all the other intangibles, he, he doesn't look the part, but he plays the part. And uh, yeah. I think, you know, it's he, you know, whether he plays a hundred percent, I don't know. I haven't seen, you know, there's Jalen rivers is in the mix. There's uh, Blake Gallagher's younger brother, Bryce Gallagher could get some looks in there as well. But uh, I don't think Chris Bergen is uh, going anywhere anytime soon. I think right now my money would be on him as the starter on August 31st against Stanford. Yep, that's good. So uh, moving into the secondary then, uh, most glaring position to watch and and what you hope for um, the cultivation of talent is at corner. So what can we expect from the cornerback position? It seems like it'll be Newsom at one and Trey Williams, who's a veteran coming back, but um, you know Trey may not have a lot of start or staying power down the stretch, mainly because um, you know there's there's other guys who have maybe a little bit more uh, downfield speed, if you will, whereas Williams is, is his strengths lie in being a good tackler in open field really kind of plays more like a safety than he does a corner. So if Williams doesn't stay in in that spot, who do you see is likely to solidify maybe that other cornerback spot opposite Newsom? Yeah, I think you're you're right. I think Newsom will be the one on on one side there. And he's a guy that, uh, boy, it's too, too bad he got hurt last year. You know, he really showed some flashes early in the season. Oh yeah. Lost him for a big chunk of the middle of the year and came back at the end. But uh, I really like that kid. He's long and boy, he's aggressive too. You know, he's, he's fearless out there, Mm -hmm. came out right away and challenged anybody in front of him. So he's, a guy I think it uh, could be an emerging star for him. I think you're right about Williams. He's, he's not a guy with great straight line speed, but he's physical. He's, he's a smart positional kind of player. Yeah. You know, last year we saw a lot of guys get some playing time that normally wouldn't have because they had so many injuries. You know, when Hardage went down and Trey Williams went down and uh, Mayo went down. And, you know, so we saw a lot of new faces there that uh, hopefully will help them this season. You know, they, they really like Cameron Ruiz, another lightly recruited guy, and he's another fearless player. I, I really I think coaches really liked what they saw out of him last year. Uh, A.J. Hampton got some snaps, so we'll we'll see if he can kind of take that next step in his development. And another guy to watch here is Rod Hurd, who's a true freshman, uh, played in a powerhouse program at Farmington Harrison in Michigan, and great athlete in high school, played quarterback as as well as uh, safety for him. And he he enrolled early in January and – He's a, he's a very athletic player. He's got some speed. He's a guy that, uh, you know, could emerge, you know, playing beyond the four games that uh, retains your red shirt. He's a guy to watch, I think, that uh, could make some noise at the cornerback position. Yeah, and two guys that keep – their names keep getting thrown around by Northwestern people are uh, Rod Campbell and Brian Bullock, but those two guys have just been nothing but injury issues um, ever since they've been on campus. Unfortunately, obviously no no fault of their own, but you hope for their sake that they can have a, a full and healthy season because that's only going to make that cornerback room stronger and deeper. Um, but it's just been a shame to see those two guys uh, with such high billing coming in not really be able to come to fruition because of the fact that they've been sidelined. Yeah, especially, you know, Rod Campbell was a four-star coming out of high school. He turned down Notre Dame. He got an offer from Notre Dame. I remember that. And, uh, you know, he's been just injury prone. And, you know, he played quite a bit last year. He's kind of like that uh, third corner in there. He got some playing time. We'll have to see if, uh, you know, hopefully he can stay healthy. We'll see if he can make some contributions. And same with Bullock, who's played a little safety, plays some corner, could be kind of a nickel guy. You know, we'll have to see. There's a lot of pieces in that secondary. Right. Yeah, I don't know how they're going to shuffle out. I don't know if Fitz knows how they're going to shuffle out yet, but I know he's pretty confident 
in that secondary. And a lot of it, cause you know, they, they were kind of pressing a dirty duty baptism under fire last year. And, uh, that should help them, yeah. you know, those reps that they got last year should help them this year. Yeah. And, and the strength obviously is their safeties. I thought Travis Willick had the best second half of any wildcat player last season, but J.R. Pace, I mean, he's another one of those underrated defensive players that I don't think is getting much of any preseason talk. Um, how do you see him shaping out in terms of all cat all time wildcat safeties? And we've had some good ones. Do you think he's likely to finish as one of the best? I mean, he's going into his junior season and, you know, he's moving up the list in uh, career interceptions. He's a guy that can uh, put the hurt on you if you come to the wrong part of the middle of the field. You know, good tackler in open space. He was the uh, defensive MVP of the Holiday Bowl last year. Where do you see J.R. Pace stacking up as we look at these next two seasons? Yeah, I think he has the potential to be one of the uh, all-time greats for sure. You know, he's a ball hawk. He's got the nose for the ball, and he, he kind of he can play that center field sort of free safety role, and he can also come up and make big hits. You know, he can really bring the lumber as well. Yeah. Um, and, you know, last year he had, he had four interceptions last year. He had a pick in the bowl game and made the defensive MVP, like you said. And I was looking, he had uh, 11 PBUs last year, which was second on the team. Yeah. Um, you know, I talked to him on media day. He's got the red dreads. I don't know if you've seen the. Pictures. Oh yeah. He's, yep. <laughs> yeah. He's, so he's, uh, and, and his goal basically is to see a little bit more red. He told me he wants to be a little bit more aggressive. He wants to make more plays. He feels, and he, he said, he's had that kind of, he's had this issue since high school that he, he tries to play a little more careful. I would put it as okay. that he's kind of, playing it safe rather than trying to go up and push the issue and make a play. And he thinks that uh, he can make more plays out there um, and trying to force the issue a little bit. And honestly, like I told him, you know, could have fooled me because that guy makes an awful yeah, lot I, of plays. Yeah, I'm shocked. Yeah, and he's certainly he's come up with some big plays for him already, and I think that's only going to increase. But he thinks he can be a little more aggressive and make some more plays for him. Yeah, well, let's hope so, and let's hope he can uh, keep within that strike zone because the new targeting rules, especially with the, the penalties faced on players um, in terms of what happens uh, regarding what sort of targeting uh, may or may not be called. And, and fortunately, Northwestern cleaned it up a lot last year, but two years ago I know that um, you know they had three or four guys. I think uh, I know Fisher was gone for two games. I think Nate Hall was taken from one game. I think Jared McGee, another one. So um, it sounded like they got that cleaned up last year, which was good. But, um, you know, aggression can certainly, you know, really go in, in a 50-50 direction. So, uh, you know, hopefully that that discipline stays stays true. And, and yeah, I, I'm shocked to hear that he thought he wasn't a, an aggressive enough player. So that's that's good looking at looking ahead. So we get to special teams. Um, how would you describe the Northwestern special teams overall, Lou? If you could describe them in a word or two or a phrase, how would you describe Northwestern special teams? Uh, that's a good question. Careful, maybe. They, that's they, that's exactly what I was thinking. Conservative, <laughs> careful, something yeah. like that. They, they don't make a whole lot of plays in, in on special teams. Um, they right. don't take a lot of chances. They do a lot of fair catches. They use their directional punts to keep the ball away from returners. You know, that's, that's where Fitz – plays a conservative. He just wants to turn the ball over to his offense or, or right. you know, defense and let them go to work. Um, but I'll tell you one thing where they have to be better this year, without a doubt, is the kicking game, right? They, I mean, they yeah. were struck by some bad luck last year when Kubander went down and, you know, he was their only scholarship kicker. He gets hurt. Drew Luckenbaugh comes in, does well, wins the Nebraska game. Then he goes down and, right. you know, they had a punter, right? Jay Collins was, was kicking field goals for him. So yeah. that's, you know, if people wonder why Fitz was such a riverboat gambler on fourth down. Well, if, if it was anything over 30 yards, he was not going to kick the ball. So um, that's, that's, you know, he said Kubander's healthy this year. So hopefully he'll be back and that'll solidify the position and, yeah. um, and, you know, they're in the return game. They don't make a whole lot of plays, but, you know, they got Lees, they got McGowan. Hopefully they can make a play or two. And, you know, that's mm -hmm. something that I talked earlier about the, the lack of big plays offensively. They don't get a lot of explosive plays. Well, maybe they can make some in the kicking game and set them up for it with a shorter field could go a long way to helping them. So, 
you know, just, just if they can make a play or two here and there, it could uh, have a big impact on, on the success of that offense and enable them to score sure. a little bit more this year. Yeah, and the reason I asked, I, you know, careful and conservative were really literally the two words that I had come to my mind as well. Um, Great minds think alike, Chad. Absolutely, they do. And, you know, there's a lot of Northwestern fans who kind of get a little impatient, you know, when they see the fair catch on a kick return, you know, that new rule that we saw last year, and even on punt returns. And, you know, it was refreshing refreshing to hear Fitz kind of come out and say it at media days and say, you know, we're not really looking to do that, uh, you know, as, as a necessity. And, you know, you look at what they got on their return. What did they have last year? Well, their punt game and their coverage unit, I think their coverage units were um, the best part of their special teams mm-hmm. because they did, you know, teaming with their defense, uh, or I'm sorry, yeah, teaming with their defense, they put Northwestern in good field position and really controlled that field position game. So you don't need to have an explosive return game. You don't need to have a punter who's going to um, necessarily boom at 70 yards every kick as long as they can execute the way that they do they have good hang time and they've got guys like joe bergen and peter mcintyre and eric mueller running downfield um and solidifying and surrounding those return guys to limit any sort of momentum change that they can get and then you know that you can count on that defense so um i think it works for northwestern and you know they can get away without having that home run threat in the return game yeah i agree with you you know they look at net punting you know, what, what posi- field position did right. you end up with? And they're happy with where things are. I, I don't think that's going to change. You know, I, I hope that uh, maybe we'll see a couple plays just to kind of help out that offense that has struggled a little bit uh, in the last couple of years. But, um, yeah, they're, they're going to stick with what works. For sure. And, it, and it's been working. Like we talked about, 15 of the last 16 regular season Big Ten games have all been Ws for the purple and white. So that's going to wrap it up for us on this edition of the Wildcast on a bowl full of chips. We want to thank our guest, Louis Vicaire, and we want to encourage you to follow us on Wildcat Report Online with constant articles weekly following Northwestern football and recruiting this fall, as well as basketball coming up in November. Wildcat Report is the place to get your Wildcat fix. Also interact with Lou and I on Wildcat Report Message Board. Subscribe and become a member to get more exclusive coverage and deeper conversation on the Rock Message Board as well. Please check out our preseason articles where we've broken down each position group looking at where they're good, where they can improve, and what we can expect from each group as we stand here before the season kicks off. Lou and I will also be covering the Wildcats throughout the season and breaking down their opponents before they line up and how they performed after the game as well. So thanks again for listening, and we look forward to hearing from you. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Wildcat Report, and I am at Champion underscore Lit. So, Lou, again, thanks for coming on with us again, buddy. And I know we look forward to having you again as the season kicks off. Absolutely. Uh, thanks for having me and uh, looking forward to the season and uh, working together with you again this year. And looking, I'm excited about another season of Wildcat football. Yes, sir. Can't get here soon enough. So we're done for tonight, but our passion for the purple is as strong as those waves crashing off the beautiful shores of Lake Michigan. We'll be back again soon, but until then, trust yourself, fight for victory, and go Cats!